Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Big Muslim Family Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam, and this is the podcast where we talk to Muslim brothers and sisters from around the world and get them to share with us their unique perspectives of growing up in their country. Also, we cover other inspirational Muslim stories such as reverts making their way back to Islam and migrants who left their home country seeking a better life. Thank you for joining us and don't forget to connect with us on our social channels. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Big Muslim Family Podcast. This is your host, Brother Mark Adam. I hope that wherever you are listening to this, you are healthy and safe, inshallah. In this episode, we continue with part two of Brother Daniel's journey back to Islam. In the first episode, we discussed his life growing up, his search into Islam, and the resulting friction this created in his family. If you want to find out more in detail, I recommend that you listen to that episode first. In this episode, we will find out what made Brother Daniel eventually take his shahada and whether or not he was able to reconcile with his family. So, let's get into it and let's listen to part two of Brother Daniel's journey back to Islam. So, I want to ask you, so you started to live you started to stay at the the masjid. So when did you when did you decide to convert convert to Islam and take your shahada? Okay, so basically what happened up until that point. Yeah, I was. It's almost like you want to do a little bit more research, man. You know, and you know, to come to that realization. But we must also remember that Allah guides whom we wills, and He must guide who we wills as well. So He is the ultimate one that guides and must guide, you know. And no matter how much research you can do, no matter how, how much understanding you have, even if you know if something is true and pure, that doesn't mean that you're going to become Muslim. You know what I'm saying? Because in in, it is only Allah who guides, you know. And on that point, I was still doing a lot of research and while I was doing that research, like I said, they actually paganized him by making him divine, you know. And um, the root of the Son of God doesn't actually stem from from Christianity. It actually stems from, I don't know if you, the greatest adversary known to Ibrahim was Nimrud, if you actually read scriptures, you know. And that's, and the Mithraic religion actually has a lot of uh, rulings and roots to the term Son of God, which is something that is pagan that actually came from them. And once that became my realization that this is not pure and it's not true and it's been affected by something else, it, it can't be. And then when I started researching different scriptures, like I think in the Hindu manuscript, I think it's the Vedas now, they would actually explicitly mention Muhammad by name. They would say that Muhammad, you know, and they would say that he's... His, his father is the slave of God and that his mother is the symbol of tranquility, which means Sakina, you know, and it actually, everything that he was saying about his parents was actually, or he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's parents was actually alluding to them because you know that his father's name was Abdullah, you know, so Abdullah means the slave of Allah, you know, and also when you read like the songs of Solomon, you would also read where they would speak about, about 
Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In the fifth songs of Solomon, they would speak about him. They would say that my beloved is white and ruddy, is chief among 10,000. That is a very explicit prophecy about the Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that's in the Song of Solomon, verse 5, I mean, chapter 5, verse 10. And if you hear the, the description of the Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, according to Ali radiallahu anhu, he said that he was neither very tall nor excessively short, but was a man of medium size. He had neither very curly nor flowing hair, but a mixture of both. He was reddish white. He had black, wide black eyes and long eyelashes. He had protruding joints and shoulder blades. Between his shoulders was the seal of prophecy. He had a finer chest than anyone else, was truer in utterance than anyone else, and had the gentlest nature and the noblest lineage. Those who saw him stood suddenly in awe of him, and those who shared his acquaintance loved him. Those who described him said they had never seen anyone like him before or since. So if you listen to what Ali radiallahu anhu says, he says that he says, he was reddish white. And according to um, Nabi Sulaiman alayhi salam, which is reported in the songs of Solomon, he said, my beloved is white and ruddy. And if you read in, in the description of the dictionary, white and ruddy actually means healthy reddish color. So this is already a perfect description of him. And authentic hadith says he was reddish white, which is like, it's like matching. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. can't get clearer than that. And um, we know also in the conquest of Makkah, um, the Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam had 10,000 sahaba with him. And this, pro this prophecy was given to Nabi Sulaiman uh, alayhi salam way before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam walked this earth. And this happened on the 10th of Ramadan in the year of 8 al-Hijri. And he had uh, the conquest of the, of the 10,000 men with him. And this is a perfect view of what the Bible is saying about Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So for me, it was like... It's like kind of putting together and Nabi, Nabi Isa salam, says, I have to go away, but don't worry. In a sense, I will come and send someone out. He actually says, I'll send someone who will guide with the truth. He doesn't say something. So the thing is, is where a lot of Christians get this wrong is that. And then and Nabi Isa salam, says, he doesn't say she or it. He says, it. you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And because he says this, he's actually attaching a gender that is coming. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the thing is that the Christians actually say this is the Holy Spirit. But if this is the Holy Spirit in the sense, where's the gender? There's no gender attached to a spirit because how could we know what it is? You know what I'm saying? And this is also another perfect description of what Nabi Isa is actually given about in the account of the Bible, of course, with regards to Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he will come and he will guide everybody because if you read actually all the prophets before Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they said, worship Allah alone and have no partners. And that is a straight path. That is what they said in, in essence. But also, every prophet was sent to their people, and they were never sent to mankind. They were only sent to their people, like Nabi Musa, alayhi salam, reported to have said in the Bible, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. And that already describes that Allah is alone. And Nabi Isa, alayhi salam, said the same thing. And he's saying, he has only come to give the message to the lost sheep of Israel. 
You understand what I'm saying? We, and uh, then he goes on and he, he says further that, but I have to go because technically someone is going to come and he will guide all of mankind. And this is exactly what Islam is, or, or not Islam, because Islam has been there from Nabi Adam salam, when he was created. But from the advent of Muhammad sallallahu sallam, this is a perfect description of that. You know? Subhanallah, so, subhanallah. So for me, it was like, <laughs> it's just mind-blowing, you know what I'm saying? This is obviously the straight path. This is the path that I'm supposed to follow. You know what I'm saying? Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah, thank you so much for sharing, because that's a really, like a really deep, you know, you're backing it up, you know, looking at other scriptures and, and bringing it back to Islam and, and checking the things. And uh, that's a very deep, I mean, well-researched, I guess. So after all of that, then did you say, okay, uh, I'm ready down to the masjid or you were at the masjid already and said, okay, I'm ready to take shahada? No, there's no <laughs> Wow. Okay. So after all of that, then did you say, okay, uh, I'm ready down to the masjid or you were at the masjid already and said, okay, I'm ready to take shahada? No, there's no <laughs> Wow. Okay. That, that is not what happened. Like I said to you earlier, Allah guides who he wills and he must guide who he wills. You know what I'm saying? And I remember the, the, this This actually happened on the 12th of April in 2011. Right? I was sitting in the masjid and there was there was a few brothers. They, they went on Umrah. Right? A few brothers with their wives. They went on Umrah. And this Sheikh Tawfa, he has a very nice way of, of doing things where he has like mini durus in the week. Like every night, Durus is class for those who don't understand. Okay. He has like a mini a class um, every night from Monday up until Thursday night. Well, Monday up until Wednesday night because on Thursday night they, they do something. There's some other things that they're like the activities and things like that happen in the masajid. So basically from a Monday to the Wednesday, you would have like different classes. And whenever they would come, musallis from Umrah or from Hajj, Tuesday night would be the night that you would actually ask them to come in front and relay their stories about what happened to them, how was the experience in Mecca, you know, and all of those kind of things, you know. Then upon hearing one of the brother's stories, um, this was after Maghrib, I was already following the movements of Salah, you know, what Salah is and, you know, how to move all the movements and all of those kind of things, basically getting the physical part used to it, you know. But at the time, I wasn't Muslim yet. And I had no inkling in my mind that I was going to become Muslim. And I found something strange happening with me when I was sitting on the on the mat. Not strange in a weird way, but I was basically rocking forth on my knees back and forth. I was like, must I become Muslim? Must I become Muslim? Must I become Muslim? Must I become Muslim? And this was going on for a time and I was looking or feeling very uneasy. You know what I'm saying? And what actually happened was I actually felt this whole peaceful, tranquil presence on both sides of me. I, I, I can't explain it. I'm sure you'd, you'd hear about rivets that things happen to them that they can't explain. And I actually have felt this sort of descend upon me you know a very peaceful calm feeling 
And after the brotherly lady story that what happened to him on Umrah and those kind of things, I immediately went to the Shaykh after that because normally everyone greets after the after the little class, you know. And I said to him, you know what, the Shaykh Tofa, I want to become Muslim. I was actually standing in front of him and I was crying. And I don't cry easily. Eh? <laughs> and I was crying so much and don't go home yet. Um, Brother Dale would like to become Muslim at the time. My name was Dale. <laughs> you know, but I, at the time I was already researching names, what names I would like to choose and those kind of things. So so that's basically what happened. The brothers stayed and I said my Shahada and I became Muslim. And they asked me which name would I like to choose now. And then I obviously chose Daniel, you know, because for me, Daniel means intelligence but it also means that my judge is Allah now my judge is Allah that is what it means you know there was another name that I was going to choose I was going to choose Dayan which means the leader or the, the just as well it means the just and then I was advised by a few brothers that you can't choose the name Dayan because it is actually it, it, it is um, one of the names and, att and attributes of Allah because Allah is a Dayan which means he is the just, he is the leader, you know? Mm. And they said, if you want to choose that name, it has to be Abdul Dayan. And for me, it didn't sound so nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then I decided, you know what? I'm going to choose Daniel. And mm. yeah, and, and there's a long story behind that also, because my mother didn't initially wanted to say anything, but then it came out a few years later that she actually always wanted to name me Daniel. And this for me was truly amazing. So it, it was first going to be Dane, and then it was going to be Daniel. It was first going to be Daniel, then it was going to be Dane, and then it was going to be Dale. So what actually happened was my aunt chose the name, chose the name Daniel for her son, and my mother's best friend at the time chose oh. the name Dane for her son. So that's, you know, females are. <laughs> or ladies, you know. <laughs> so so my name was always supposed to be Daniel or Daniel and for me that was truly amazing you know what I'm saying subhanallah subhanallah you know? uh, yeah subhanallah I think that also the meaning behind Daniel it suits you I think it suits you very much so so alhamdulillah thank you that's that's amazing so tell me when from that the shahada that you took from then on what was it like for you did you how you kept staying at the masjid yeah no i was still living at the masjid at the time i remember my first ramadan i wanted to go back home to my parents because they basically stayed like six or seven roads away from the, the masjid you know so i was like well, you're always seeking the approval of your parents and you're always trying to keep them happy and you and also be, being a muslim it is emphasized upon you that you must display good character at all times, that you must be kind and good to your parents, even if they are um, not Muslim at all, you know. It is only where, where Allah says that if they force you into ascribing partners unto him, then you should disobey them in that, but you should still treat them with kindness in the dunya. And this is what I try to do. So I, I try to have this example of good character, you know, and I went home for that first week and it was very difficult. To the point that I said to my parents, it's fine, I will, I will go back to the masjid. But I at least attempted. It was very difficult because obviously it's weird now. They're living a certain way and I'm living a different way. And there would often be misunderstandings and clashes and things like that. And it wasn't a con conducive environment for me. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to the masjid. And that's exactly what happened, yeah. 
Yeah. So this is one of the, I mean, the struggles that you, you face. Yeah. So how are you getting through them? How are you using the, you know, Islam to your faith to get through some of these struggles? Is this the only, like, what about your friends and, and do you have brothers and sisters? I have one sister, but Alhamdulillah, Allah has lifted the pen from her because she's got a, she was born with a spectrum of autism. So Allah has actually lifted the pen from her. So she actually, she's the one that misses me a lot from time to time. But I see my parents frequently now. We have a much better relationship than what we did before. They would consult me on things and ask me advice on how to do certain things, you know, those kind of things. But yeah, I've got one sister out that that stays with my parents still. Alhamdulillah. And how long did it take you from that when you took Shahada to kind of get onto, you know, relatively good terms with your parents? Well, I would say up until four years ago, it wasn't really good because I would still like, sometimes I would actually still live at home with my parents. It was a constant struggle of living at home and then renting out and living at home and then renting out. Because obviously, like I said, you as a child, you are trying to, you know, trying to display good character to your parents, seeking that approval and that acceptance, you know, it was very difficult. And then I just decided, and you know what, I think it's going to be better rather for me to just say, Assalamu Alaikum, and rather just live on my own. And ever since that has happened, our relationship has actually blossomed. It's gotten much better. You know what I'm saying? And being married since last month, <laughs> alhamdulillah, that has actually really put the cherry on top. You know, it's almost like you've reached a certain level in your life that you are almost seen as a grown-up now. <laughs> Wait till you have a kid. Uh, <laughs> sorry? Wait till you have a kid. <laughs> yeah, inshallah. Yeah, Allah grant me, inshallah. Amen, amen. Yeah, and you asked about friends. In the beginning, I actually never really had a lot of friends. I was the weird type of kid that was very, I was like an introvert kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Always playing my Xbox and my Playstations and stuff like that. But also learning about how to train and gym and things. I used to do all of these things at home. I would have, I would probably say in my lifetime, I would probably from adolescent, adolescence up till now, I'd probably have about 10 to 15 friends. When I became Muslim, a lot of them actually just, fell away you know obviously because i'm not living the same lifestyle that you're living now because obviously you know you know how it goes these parties and parties and things happen at parties and you know all of those things so because i'm not doing those kind of things anymore i would actually start losing friends and we are not obviously on the same wavelength anymore so even though when i see them i'm still nice to them i'll greet them and things like that but i just think that it's that Islam has really changed a lot in that sense. So yeah, I don't have a lot of friends. The only friends that I have at the moment now are my wife's friends, <laughs> which is like three or four people. And then and then obviously some of the brothers where I locally attend and other brothers abroad, because there's one thing that I forgot to mention that while I was living at the masjid, every night, different family actually prepared supper for me. Oh from everybody in the masjid and that's a lot of musallis you know so i would become well acquainted with everybody and i would make like a lot of friends that's why if i go to that area in goodwood that is goodwood i stay in belgravia and different different suburb 
they would still ask me how I am, you know, those kind of things, you know. So, so yeah, that was a wonderful experience. I got a little bit fat as well because of that. But, but yeah, they're not, if you could say friends, like on a friend level, a friend is someone that is someone you actually take as an intimate type of person. But as Muslims, we are all friends in a sense, you know, but you will still have that special few that are very close to you. But uh, the community is very well known to me. You know, we, if I am, they do recognize me and they speak to me and they ask me how I am and those kind of things. So, yeah, yeah that's, I think it's important. I think, alhamdulillah, you had that support system there for you, especially given your background with your family and growing up, you really needed another close support system with you when you want to convert it. Hey there, Brother Mark Adam here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. This podcast is still very new and we're looking to grow and reach out to more brothers and sisters from around the world. It would mean so much to us if you could share this podcast with just one person in your life. If not, could you leave a positive review on whatever podcast site you are listening to this on? It would really help. Jazakallah khair. And now, back to the episode. I'd like to ask you, would you, in your experience, when you see people who are converting or reverting to Islam, what do you feel that could be improved? Support system, definitely. I was one of the very few that I know of. In fact, I would say that my case is probably unique because I haven't heard of a case like that before, you know. Whereas I'm constantly hearing of reverts that they are learning the religion, they haven't become Muslim yet, or they just become, became Muslim and their parents put them out. They don't know where to live, they don't know where to say, they don't have a lot of support. So for me, I, I would say that if something could be improved upon, it's definitely the support system. You know, my case was so unique that when I became Muslim, I was already getting marriage offers. <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually a good thing because this is what actually happens, you know what I'm saying? But very, it's very seldom that those kinds of things happen because obviously getting married into a family, that is a support system that you're going to be with. And, and it doesn't really happen often, you know? So I would say that definitely the support structure for, for, for the, I would say the prospective Muslim, the one that's learning that in, that really needs to be there because I also heard about another sister that, that from, from a different river class in a different suburb, that when she heard about Islam, a close friend, he became Muslim because he heard about Islam and he started studying it. And when he started giving her da'wah, it spoke to her, you know, and she was also going to become Muslim and her parents actually put her out. And I mean, that is a very dangerous situation that you're putting a female out in the world that has no support structure, that has no safety you know what i mean and we're living in a time which gender-based violence is a huge thing you know what i'm saying and you just put your daughter out on the street like that that's a very sad thing so so i would definitely say the support structure is first and foremost the biggest thing that needs to happen yeah yeah i totally agree and i think it's not just your i've been speaking to a lot of reverts and they also highlight 
about the support or lack of support. One of the, the, the examples I always give is that, you know, when people, you know, end up on Fridays or they take their shahadas and everyone is, you know, brother, such and such wants to take shahada. Yeah, yes. Takbir, takbir. Whoa. And then big yeah. hugs and, and things around and say, okay, but then that's it. Or maybe I'll see you mm. next Friday. Yeah. And you know, that, it's, it's too, you know, it's too long a, a time. So, well, inshallah, maybe there is a, there's a solution. Maybe we can leverage on technology and, and come up with something that, you know, as a support system for new rebirth, inshallah. So on the other hand, if what would advice would you give to Muslims uh, who are, maybe they know someone who is uh, interested in the religion, what kind of advice would you give them to, how would they handle this person? My advice would go back to the first point we discussed now, is actually to build a support system for them. Because based on what happened to me, like I said, my case was very unique, but I'm hearing of this thing happening every Friday, you know, or every week even that this this kind of thing is happening, you know? So, so to, I mean, if this is their friend and someone that's close to them, I mean, how, for me, it's almost like a, a way that you actually betray their trust, you know, in the sense that mm-hmm. things like this happen, you know, yeah. but I would say definitely try to build a support structure as much as you can, you know, and, and also another thing I would like to stress highly is that new Muslims should also contact, or get in contact with the Imam where Zakah is concerned because Zakah is also for the new Muslim. It's not just for families who are struggling with food in their home. It's not just for the traveler, you know, those kind of things. Allah has mentioned specific scenarios in the Quran where zakah is concerned. And one of this is one of them where you should actually uh, give money to the, to, the, because, to the new Muslim. Because, I mean, as you can see, this is a problem. This is, you know, it's logic. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And this is something that needs to happen, that the, the new Muslim should actually consult the, the imam and not all masajid are rich i can tell you that but there are some masajid that actually have uh, money that can help you know i i, I know of, of one masajid besides goodwood where i came from that they actually have a certain fund for new muslims so they put money in that fund so when someone becomes muslim they can give them at least a month or two's uh, or, or three's uh, mm. starting off point. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I mean, if you're getting kicked out, maybe you are someone that's working and you don't have a very good job or you're not earning enough money to immediately pay upfront a deposit and a month's extra rent. Whereas if the, if the massage can actually build up a fund to put money like that aside, then that can help in the first, the, in the infancy, you know what I'm saying? And then, yeah. The new Muslim, the prospective Muslim can actually find his feet and he can move forward. You know what I'm saying? Because now he can maybe pay for the following month's rent, which is not a problem for him. But, you know, we are also taught in Islam that riba is a very bad thing, you know. So what actually happens sometimes is that these new Muslims, they they automatically f- fall into sin. And I would say unknowingly because they don't know the rules of the deen that much. Hmm. And then they go up and like, okay, I'll just get a credit card quickly. I'll just open up a loan quickly. Right. And, and I will just do this. Whereas there is, there is actually a support system that can help, that should be implemented, you know? So, yeah, that's for me, that's what I would highly stress upon. Okay. 
Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. Thank you. That's, that's a really good answer. Okay, so let's sum everything up. All right. So how do you think being a Muslim has changed you personally? Okay, first thing I would say, that is, Islam has really changed me in terms of my humility. I used to be a very, besides being the introvert person that I used to be, I used to be not a braggart, but in a sense of you'd like, you'd show off a lot, you know, because you're young also, man, you know, you'd show off a lot and you'd want to get this flashy thing and that flashy thing to show off to people, you know, those kind of things. In terms of that, Islam has really changed that aspect and that goes with your character as well. You know what I'm saying? So, Alhamdulillah, my character has changed a lot, you know, from being that type of person to being what I am now. I aspire to be humble, inshallah. I aspire to be the better person, you know. I aspire to not raise my voice in times where people would raise their voice. I aspire to be more knowledgeable of my situation or cognizant of the fact of what is happening around me where everybody is almost, you could say, losing their minds, you know what I'm saying? So this, in a sense, this is how Islam has changed me and also in terms of accountability as well, you know. If you do this, this is going to happen. If you do something bad, this is going to happen. If you do good, this is going to happen, you know. So always seeking the reward of Allah and always seeking that good deed, you know, especially following up a good deed if you have done a bad deed, you know, those kinds of things. That is how Islam has changed me, you know. And also wanting to learn the deen, wanting to know more about the deen, you know, because I I firmly feel that because in a sense I was like that before I became Muslim, always wanting to learn and find out more. This is what Islam is now or has cultivated even further into me where that is concerned. Learning how to recite Quran, learning how to recite it with Tajweed, getting a proper Tajweed teacher, learning how to speak Arabic, getting a proper Arabic teacher, sitting in Durus where you are learning about the tafsir of the Quran, you know, classes on even simple things that people neglect, how to make wudu, how to make salah. Because many Muslims, they... They tend to make salah, but there's certain things that sometimes is lacking. You know what I'm saying? Like your attitude in your salah, you know, all of these kinds of things, you know. For me, I would give that advice also to what you would term born Muslims. And I actually have an understanding where born Muslims are concerned is that we are actually all born Muslim. <laughs> and, and upon the fitrah and until we become a certain age that either our parents change us or we change ourselves or we follow the religion of their religion. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, as for my advice for born Muslims, in a sense, I would say, go ahead, go learn your deen. Because, you know, there was this one time and I would, I will never forget it. At the time I was working in the central business district in Cape Town. And I used to frequent the masajid there now. The, the Malay quarter is in the central business district. And there are probably like 20 masajid in the area. So when the adhan goes, you're hearing adhan in Cape Town. Like it's no thing. You know what I'm saying? And I would go to um, one of, the, like every Friday I'd go to a different massage, um, masjid for Jumu'ah, you know. And there was this one Turkish brother that, that 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 I knew at the time because his father had a business in the central business district. So I used to go a lot there for breakfast in the morning before work. And he said to me once, you know, your my father told me that you became Muslim, and uh, don't worry, you go, you're going to you. I mean, now that you're Muslim, you're going to Jannah, and that didn't sit well with me mm. because 
uh, for a good ending in 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 akhir is something that you must work for it's not something that you're just going to get you know like okay you're muslim now now you're going to jannah that is uh, that is a misconception that most muslims have as well you know yes. so always work for your akhirah you know and always gain the good deeds of your lord and learn about his book you know don't be negligent for the fact that okay i'm muslim now i'm going to jannah you know i don't need to study the quran i don't need to learn how to read or recite you know those kind of things very very important so i mean i mean Brother, thank you for that beautiful response. It's been an amazing journey. Thank you so much for sharing. Alhamdulillah, it's, it's been amazing uh, talking to you about this. And thank you so much again for spending the time to come on here on the uh, Big Muslim Family Podcast and to, to share. I hope that, inshallah, this becomes a, an inspirational story for, for those Muslims listening to this, for those who are reverts, and also for uh, us, the born Muslims as well. So, uh, assalamu alaikum. <laughs> wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanallah, what a journey. I think that this is one of the most powerful stories I've recorded so far. I feel blessed to have met this brother and I'm very grateful to be able to share his story to you. So what did you think of the episodes? Let us know on our social channel. You can go to facebook.com forward slash big Muslim family or to our Instagram. It's at big Muslim family and we'd love to connect with you there. So in our next episode, I will be speaking with Brother Farok. He's a travel YouTuber who will be telling me of his life as a Muslim in New Zealand. And before we go, I just want to say a massive thank you for all you brothers and sisters listening to this. And once again, if you could support us and just share this podcast with at least one person in your life, that would be amazing. Jazakallah khair. Once again, I'm your host, Brother Mark Adam, and inshallah, I will see you in the next episode. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.